The Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center is a Black-led, Black-focused, and Black-serving charitable organization in the region of Peel. Rest Centers provides transitional housing support services to BIPOC youth experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness. In less than 10 years of operation, REST has established itself as an essential organization to the fight to end youth homelessness by supporting youth to change their stories, discover new possibilities, and kilter dignity. The guest featured in this episode has been made anonymous to protect their identity as they tell their story. Their name and voice have been changed to secure this anonymity, and any resemblance to these changes to actual persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. This podcast, Homelessness in Hiding, or Youth Between the Cracks, is an uncensored discussion of content that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Personal discretion is advised. Welcome to Homelessness in Hiding, or Youth Between the Cracks, a podcast about homelessness, youth homelessness, and issues of poverty in our communities, from the people right in the thick of it. When the world shut down in 2020, international student Sasha had nowhere to go. Racing against the ticking clock of her university residence shutting down, Sasha and her friends rushed to find housing in the GTA. Little did they know the nightmare they were diving into. Today, we'll hear Sasha's story of renting in the GTA as an international student. Her experiences exposed the tricky landscape of unlawful deposits, awful maintenance, and in her words, the practice of social law versus legal law. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm all right. Nice to meet you. Thank you. I'm very excited for this conversation. Um, it's something we've been talking about in the background for quite some time, and so I'm glad that we can kind of dive into it. Listeners have seen the title. You know we're going to talk about international students today, which make up a huge, 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 huge part of not only the Canadian housing space, but especially in the greater Toronto area. And so that said, can you please introduce yourself and tell us anything you would like for us to know about you? Um, I moved to Toronto in 2019 for my university. Um, I moved here from Thailand, but my family is based in India now. I'm an international student. I relied entirely on student, like student-friendly housing and or like university, like school residence housings. Um, yeah. Wonderful. And what do you study? I study history and English at U of T. Um, I'm just finishing up. I have one more semester left and then I will be graduated. Yay! Stay strong. Stay strong, girl. You got this. (laughs) Um, Fellow English head. (laughs) Oh my god. I won't get into too many specifics, but we were actually connected through a mutual professor. Um, I won't say her name because I don't have her permission to do so. Um, But we've both had the honor of being taught by a very very special professor uh she absolutely incredible yes she got her phd recently so congratulations to her i've been calling her a doctor like since i knew her even before she walked the stage and she would like always correct me on it um but yeah i practice what i believe (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah um i remember i think i i first had her when she was in her like final semester and I'm being so vague because um I'm so honored to say he listens to the podcast so he knows exactly who she is um (laughs) but yeah so I remember I think I had her in her like final semester like she was getting ready to defend her dissertation I think that's the term Uh um yes and um I remember she she got it we're all excited and then she was like don't call me doctor don't even think about it I was like (laughs) 
like, <laughs> okay, I, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I would just like use like professor for her the whole time. And she would like constantly correct me on it. <laughs> but I believe she was a professor. She taught me a lot. <laughs> but yeah, she um, is absolutely incredible. Um, if anyone needs a letter from me that actually says her name i will write that for you i'll put it on her letterhead um just let me know but i'm not gonna say her name because again i don't have her permission but what do you want to get out of this conversation today um i think what i would like to get out of this conversation today is more um housing help for international students and also like more financial management help for international students because i think like a large part of my experience was like so desperate because I did not know how finances in Canada worked. Um, credit system was new to me. I don't think we ever had a credit cards before. Um, and so when landlords would ask for um, like, a, like a credit score from me, I could give it to them, but it was not good enough because my student like account is not exactly like um, an Amex. Um, but my parents have only recently started like a credit score. So even if they have the expenses to support me and like the expenses to cover my stay here, their financial backgrounds don't really do much to help me. Um, so I think that like mostly out of the conversation, I would like to get more financial literacy for students to be in Canada and also more advocacy for fair housing. Absolutely. I know like the slimmest details of what it's like to be an international student in this country. I'm grateful to be like a citizen, not only of Canada, but of Ontario, the same province I went to school in. And I know that made, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say university was easy, but it made my life much easier. And even I struggled a bunch. So I'm so excited to defer to you and get to know everything. But first, I think it's important that we kind of set the stage about why this is a conversation worth having to begin with. And so I kind of want to start by outlining that the base tuition, the standard cost of tuition for the University of Toronto for domestic students, meaning like specifically an Ontario resident, is $6,100 per academic year before incidental fees, which is basically kind of operating cost for the university. Um, U of T is one of the highest ranked universities in the country. It's also one of the wealthiest universities in the country. And I think on top of that base tuition, I was still paying around, gosh, what was it? I think it was $2,000 per semester in operating fees. And so what that might look like would be I mean, I went to the Mississauga campus, and so we had a bus pass that we had to pay for, but then that would also include things just like the basic operating costs for the school's, like, classroom portal. Yeah, like Acorn subscription and or how to use, like, all the resources that were given, like, oh, oh the listserv, we pay for that. Oh, yeah. Basically, how they send emails to us, we pay for. Um, Acorn is the essentially student portal so if you want to if you want to pay your bills you go to acorn if you want to sign up for courses you go to acorn if you want to um declare that you're graduating you go to acorn you do basically everything through acorn because um our office of the registrar is very very hands-off if that makes sense um and then there's also we use canvas at uft but we've kind of rebranded it to quirkus 
Um, and we pay for all of that. Um, and that's just, I think that's standard for a lot of universities for those costs to be put onto the student. Um, and so I would say for a general academic year, for a domestic student, you're looking at around $10,000. But again, I keep saying domestic student. The fees are about to get so much worse, and I'm not even considering travel expenses, visa applications. Yeah, so please, my question for you is, on average, how much money do you pay in an academic year to attend school in Canada, outside of the general cost of living? Um, For just my school fee, it rounds off close to 65, 66,000, um, which is 10 times, close to 10 times the expenses that domestic students have, which is crazy flight inflation. Um, it's been 28,000 per semester or like 29,000, uh, depending on how many courses you're taking. Um, and then like it, the average fee that we pay usually like is between 56,000 to 60,000 Canadian dollars. Wow. And I want to, again, point out for the audience that we more or less were in the same program. Like we both had English and then you had history as well, which is another humanities at U of T. And so like there are other U of T has other programs that are like deregulated, which basically means that the program itself, like the department itself, can set the fees essentially on an annual basis. And so at UTM, there's one, I think it's Digital Enterprise Management. And that is a deregulated program. And so think about any international student who wants to come to U of T on a deregulated program and their fees just tripled. It's a lot to cover. Um, and I like the resources that are available to domestic students are available to us too. Um, international students have to file for taxes exactly how domestic students would. Um, their tax returns are funded exactly how domestic, domestic students are at least to my knowledge. I've always been very confused about why it's like more than seven times to come to UFT as an international student as opposed to a domestic one. I don't, I don't know. Like, I think that's unfair. Like I'm a huge proponent in education period because it's such an old saying where it's like knowledge is power. I think just generally speaking, if, you know, more of the world can be educated, whether it be college education, which is just as good in Canada as university education. They just teach different fundamental skills, um, whether it be even just high school. Like, it's such an important thing because I think research has shown that just like the more educated an individual is, the more likely they're going to be to make an informed decision and to engage critically with the world, which I think is more important now than ever. I'm definitely going to do some research on this topic and I will include some links down below in the description for anything I might be able to find in terms of why the price difference exists from an official stance, like maybe what some people are officially saying about it in terms of citing a reason. But that said, let's dive into the housing piece. The first question I have in this regard is, did you ever consider or even live on school residence? I did, yeah. In my first year, when I first moved to Toronto in 2019, I lived in on school residence in my college. At um, I go to St. George College, the St. George campus. So we have a collegiate system on the St. George campus. We practice like um, it's there's not like a significant difference in which college you go to. It's just like it's a matter of like resources that are provided to you based on what college you're going to. So there's University College, Victoria College, Trinity College. Woodsworth, um, Innes, and New College. 
Yes, I got all of them. There's five colleges systems. Um, and all of them have their own housing. So Victoria College has its own housing. UC has its own housing. Trinity College has its own housing. Um, New Woodsworth, every, everyone have their, everyone has their own like buildings where they house students who go to these colleges. And I think that like being in a different college for the most part is like the biggest difference is like how physically evident they are. I, I was in university college. I am in university college. And so I lived on campus in one of the one of the three university college housings that they offer. Oh, so that's so interesting. That's very different from UTM because UTM is just its own thing. It used to be completely independent of U of T. And it, I think it was known as Arendelle College, but I don't know the specifics off the top of my head. But I believe U of T purchased the institution and now it's just the University of Toronto, Mississauga. So, yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. And so my follow-up question in that regard is, why did you eventually switch to renting? Slash, what was your experience like in residence? Um, okay, so I keep reiterating that I came here in 2019 because 2020 year was the year when people started getting kicked off of residence because of COVID hitting and everything shutting down. Um, one of the biggest reasons why I had to switch um, was because I'm an international student. I was on residence they gave us like a week or so um, to empty out the living spaces that we were in. I think UC was very, very kind in extending that period for us. Like I remember we were we were allowed to be on rest and they kept like the kitchens running as like to the best of their capacity and like as safely as possible to make sure that international students who were pretty much locked into Canada at this point, because my parents at the time were in Jakarta, Indonesia, um, and they had closed their borders almost immediately i wasn't able to go to them i would have been able to go back to delhi but my parents were very very scared about like making that decision um because delhi at the time was quite bad and it became worse and they were not going to be there so i would have had to support myself and i would have had to find a place to stay there that was like fully functioning too but some of the other international students and I, um, one of them is from Egypt, one of them is from South Africa, and one of them is from the States. Um, the four of us decided to look for a house together because we were like most of us were stuck in the residence at the time. And we didn't know at what point the government was going to announce that like residence is actually also not supposed to be running like you're doing this badly. Um, so we were like looking for housing because of that. But also there's like there's not enough residences at U of T to support incoming students and also upper year students like the residence preferences are always given to first year students and like they're designed for new students so if you want to reapply as an upper year you have to have certain like participation points in like like how involved you were in the residence community how much like how involved you are in uc like there's a little bit of a point system i don't think it's particularly hard to get but i would say it is limited to get residence again on campus at least in uc you can even stay in the dorms, but you are like second preference. So most most upper years tend to move out like closer to um, campus, but not live on residence. I was also considering applying for a dawn position just so I could stay on residence. Um, it's a much more like it's a cleaner like financial transaction. If you're just paying university, I feel like with landlords, there's just so much murky stuff that happens. Which is why I was like, oh, I should consider like donning. But I think that like one of the things that I was so, so anxious about was that 
if residence closes down, I'm not only losing my job, but I'm also losing housing and food because the residence includes a meal plan, which is a mandatory meal plan. And like a large part of the resident's salary is like the fact that they're housing you and feeding you. And so I was really scared that if like residence closed down, I won't have anywhere to go. Because I think like for most of my university, like most of my university, COVID has been very, very uncertain and that like they will say, oh, it's hybrid. But then the next week they will say, actually, you have to stay home. Um, so there was not never like a definite time where I could make a decision without like without a threat of like houselessness. No, absolutely. And I think kind of some kind of example that I might be able to bring forth in terms of helping listeners who, you know, maybe have never been an international student in Canada or have never lived on like school residence. One thing I'll cite for particularly younger listeners, as well as parents listening to this, if you remember in March of 2020, when your kids or you yourself as like a 15 year old, 16 year old went home for March break and literally never went back to school. It was the, it's the exact same thing here just because of how volatile like the residence situation was because of all the restrictions um, from like from like and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're saying like you were at risk of that kind of action being taken literally every day. Um, For the most part, I think so, Um, because at least university college and I like want to give them a lot of credit for this, but they were like trying to find ways to accommodate the students who couldn't go back home because the school year wasn't over. We when we were asked to leave our residence, like we had paid the fee for up until April, like final exam season. And so they they were trying to make sure that we were accommodated post like 22nd of March when the announcement happened that we have to vacate till the end of April at least. Um, but post that, I wasn't sure what was going to happen for summer residence. I was also not sure if my parents would be able to send me money to let me stay in summer school because I think that like not summer school but summer residence because summer residence fee is like around $14,000 or something and you have to pay all of that up front and I remember too like I think if you want to qualify for summer residence even during this time you had to be in a minimum of I think three classes and so like because that's what I ended up doing like I ended up living on summer residence that summer because that I needed a place to be. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's a very nuanced situation. But all of that said, I could you walk me through what was the process like of finding a place to rent? What was that transition like, especially in the peak of COVID? I think that because it was like the first like wave of like people panic getting like housing, landlords had increase the price so significantly. But I remember we started looking at the start of March because we were like getting like news from like other universities that they have shut down and like they're asking their students to move out and things like that. So we started looking proactively, I'd say. I think that we tried to look around Toronto. We, because university was also giving us quite mixed signals about like what was gonna be happening in the fall semester. So we were like, should we just go back home for the semester? like? Should we just stay with our parents for like that school year? But the university kept saying that like, oh, it's going to be back in person soon. It's going to be back in person for like the, like in four weeks, like give us like this much time, you'll be back in person. So we had to like 
make a lot of decisions that were very like on very uncertain words. I think that like one of the options that we had was that like we'd all just go back home and do second year from home, which would have been very convenient for most of us. But because the university was like, I think it will be open for second year. So we had to make plans. And we ended up looking for housing on Facebook Marketplace. We ended up looking for housing on like PadMapper and like all sorts of like housing websites. We also attended this like housing workshop that UFT offers from Student Life, I think, that told us about like all the housing tenant rights that we have and what is like a legitimate practice of renting out a space and what is an illegal practice of renting out a space. What are the essentials, like necessities that like all landlords have to offer you, like heat, windows like a basement unit is not perfectly safe so things like that was taught to us and they also were telling us about like first and last month deposits and things like that and i was like okay we need to find like a legitimate place so we're not like paying 18 months of rent up front nobody has that kind of money right now but i think we found our place through we got uh what are they called oh um realtors yes like a realtor so we, we found a few realtor, realtors. We were like, hey, we're international students. We may not even be able to like view the property because of like COVID restrictions. Like we, we need someone to like do that for us. So we got in touch with a few like realtors who were offering their services for free at the time. And we didn't really see any success from them. But my friend, one of my roommates now, um, she ended up finding a house near Chinatown area. And we we like signed the lease um for it and then they said your offer is rejected because you don't have canadian guarantors like ontario guarantors but we were international students our parents don't have bank accounts in canada so we couldn't really give them that guarantee like we had like a lot of rejections based on that until we came to the house like it was like a lot more expensive to be in that house because we didn't have a guarantor they asked for like three months of rent up front i think um and we it was like I think 1350 a month, which was like slightly less than what we would be paying for summer residence, but only by like $200 or so. And we ended up like living in that house for like a year before we moved out. Wow. Okay. Wait, so was this like a house or was this, um, like what kind of dwelling was it? I think I missed that part. Oh, it was, um, it was so weird because it is like a house, like a townhouse on, in, in Chinatown but it is divided up between basement first floor and then second and third floor so each okay so it was three dwellings in that townhouse then three separate dwellings yeah but i think we requested for it to be like cut to two dwellings because it was covid and we were really scared that we were going to be living in a house that was meant for like maybe 10 people with like 18 people but it ended up happening we were living in that house with like like um, we were paying higher rents because we didn't have, we were living in a five bedroom apartment, but it was only four people. Um, and, and then like a few people moved in below us and they had like three basement rooms and four upstairs, like first floor rooms. So there was like, there were a lot of us and it was very scary during COVID because we couldn't really like cut interactions with people because we would pass them because we were still sharing like a common hallway and things and like a common backyard but some of us like had jobs that required us to go in like some of my friends were working in the hospital at the time like it was just like a very like 
it just seemed like a house that was too packed for for the amount of like space it had no absolutely wait so was it one single entrance for all of those different dwellings uh entrance as in like a fire exit we had one fire exit okay so there's one fire exit and then like entrance to the building itself like the front door was it one front door yes okay i see yes there's one front door you go in there's a little bit of a hallway where they keep the washing machines and the dryer and then there's two doors that separate the two units they all had separate codes so there's like that privacy happening i guess but like everyone has the code to the front door yeah that sounds like a logistical nightmare i would love to hear like the legality on that because i'm because it's like it's one entrance to the building but i don't see i'm like this is where renting in ontario gets really really fuzzy because legally a separate dwelling is not considered a separate dwelling if the entrance is shared with the landlord or with someone else but because there are different locked doors i think that's the loophole there but then even still it sounds like that's a lot of people to be in one building yeah wow that's that's fuzzy I also don't think that house was like ever built or maintained to support that many people because recently some of the people who moved in like in the time that we were living there we're still friends with and so they are they're still living in the unit that they were like the first floor and the basement unit they still live there and there was like recently a sewage leak in their unit um like the entire basement was flooded because a pipe burst um, and all the fecal material and everything was on their floors, all over their furnitures. And the landlord, he just like was so uncoordinated, like he would not try to help. He was like, this is your fault. Um, we'll send in cleaners. But that's the most we're going to do. And they sent in cleaners who used their mop to like, like just like swish the sewage water around a little bit. And they were like actual pieces of like fecal material everywhere all over people's furnitures and it, the basement has four tiny like those basement windows they're like maybe 12 inch high and it smelled horrible it was obviously not good for health to be smelling any of that but the landlord just went oh yeah this is like uh, this is a problem with like renters they they shove like the sanitary pads down toilets and that's why like the pipe burst we had to get so much legal support from like any free resources we could find because the house was unlivable because of a sewage water all over the floor and b it is like a health hazard to be inhaling any of that waste and or the bleach that they were using to cut that waste off but we had like he just like would not admit to it he was like oh you guys can like all maybe fit yourselves up in like the four uh, units of housing that are upstairs not in the basement but everything was touched by sewage, sewage water and or like that waste like air and I like they all had to find like some of them stayed in the house that we are currently staying in. Some of had uh, some of them had to go back to like their parents' housing. But like it was a really difficult situation because they were all like a lot of them are international students and also rely on that house to be their house. But the landlord was awful in that time. Um, they asked him if they could like if he could take some part of their rent out so that they could afford to move into like an Airbnb or like a temporary residence, like something like that. 
um, because they were like, oh, we can't pay you rent and also go and live somewhere else and pay them like the money that we should be paying you. And he was like, that's not my problem. Like you guys can do whatever you want. But we had to fight like tooth and nail with him to be like, hey, you have an unlivable house right now that you are renting out to us. And by no fault of our own, because we talked to the plumber who was working on the pipes and he said, these pipes are a billion years old and they were like so like you could have done a single like drop of water in the toilet and it would have burst because of how badly maintained they are. Before we get back to our conversation with Sasha, I want to take a moment to touch base with you, the listener. If you're interested in joining the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube so we can hear your thoughts on today's episode and you can let us know what you want to see in the future. If you want to stay in the loop about what REST is doing to help our community shelter dignity and support youth experiencing homelessness, you can get to know us on our LinkedIn or subscribe to the REST Center's newsletter for updates. And most importantly, if you are a youth in Peel experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness, we are here to help you. Give us a call at 905-863-1118 to get in touch. Now, back to the episode. Wow. For one, I'm going to start with an apology. I'm so sorry you went through that. That's 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 horrid. There are so many legally incorrect decisions that were made on the landlord's behalf. Um, for one, that's a, like that's a health hazard. You guys should have been accommodated elsewhere and he should have properly dealt with the problem. Two, again, just how many people were in that house? Like, I think a lot of people... Because, I mean, at least in, like, the region of Peel, mind you, like, you're speaking about our Toronto residents, but in the region of Peel, there are a number of bylaws that determine how many people who aren't related to each other, aka not a legal family, can live in a single dwelling. I think the term is lodging house. And from there, you have to, from, like, a landlord perspective, you need to get a whole different permit for that. And then the house needs to be up to a whole different standard of codes for that to be the case. And so... There should be a different set of rules for lodging houses. And I want to clarify something in this. I think a lot of people, they look at lodging houses or situations like that, and they think all of them, you know, without discrimination are bad because you have situations like this where the house was very clearly not meant to handle that much like human waste in a day in a week, in a month, in a year, in a decade, in multiple decades. And that's why the pipes burst. It was just, it was just, you know, bad plumbing because it was like 30 years old, um, just accelerated to the end of its life due to overuse, due to how many people the landlord, you know, like pumped into that house. And so this is a situation where that, like a lodging house in that sense even if it's separate dwellings, it's all the same plumbing. That's bad. And that, like, I think people might hear this and hinge on the idea that all lodging situations are bad. But I want to clarify that I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it becomes worse when you have landlords trying to rent to multiple different groups of people at once, instead of allowing groups of people to rent out a unit themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. And they were they were on the lease for similar reasons to us, the fact that like they couldn't go back home um, because of border closing and like needed to sign a lease. Like, so they were like, they were able to be in Toronto um, if school reopens and is back in person. Um, So we were all like sort of on the same boat about like how desperately we needed these houses. So it makes sense that like 
a lot of us like ended up signing on this lease because it was the only one that was being they were not making a big deal out of like us being an international student and things like that no absolutely and like like you know like there's so many people um like especially like young people experiencing like homelessness risk where they have one place and that is their safety net. If anything happens to that place, they're homeless. They have absolutely nowhere else to go. They have no way to achieve support. And I can't imagine my nearest support system being across the world in your case, right? Like, like there's only so much that like money out of savings dedicated to your education, not necessarily like your living expenses, but your education can do. And then on top of that, like, to not have even a sister or like a family member who could even like advocate for you in that regard. I think that absolutely complicates the conversation so much. Yeah. And I think we were a little bit like scared um, to ask him over and over. Like we were getting a little bit like, like what if he's like, whatever, you can't live here anymore. Um, and we wouldn't have anywhere to go. So we were like, oh, we'll just figure it out. Like, we'll figure it out. Whenever he sends his people, he'll send them. But like, for now, we can figure it out. Like, that's such a real fear, too. Like, I I know someone who was going to rent a basement apartment, but then it wasn't registered with the city. And so the, the landlord was like, okay, it's cash only, and I'm not going to give you a rent receipt, which means that this person couldn't claim their rent on their taxes and also, it's just illegal because the unit's not registered with the city. If anything goes wrong, if, if anyone were to discover that this person was living there, they would get evicted. And then what would they do? And when my like when my friend like pushed back against this, the landlord was like, "Oh no, okay, yeah, I don't want you living here anymore. Um, I'm not going to send you a lease." Like they lost the place, which I would I told them was a blessing in disguise. But like, that's a very real thing that happens. And even in my student house in Mississauga, I agreed to what were illegal terms because I was terrified of losing the house because I was approaching a point of no return on my rental house. And I was just, I was so exhausted. We had been searching for months. We couldn't find anything. No one would listen to us. And so finally, literally, like the only landlord who would take us seriously proposed some very suspicious terms that I'm not going to get into right now and I had no choice but to say yes because I was in such a place of despair that if I didn't say yes I was not gonna have anywhere to live by the time I needed to move and so like all that is to say like the concerns that you had and the fear that you felt in that moment was absolutely so real and so valid and I hope this hasn't happened but I don't want anyone to like listen to your story and say well you should have just went somewhere else because for the reality for so many young people, especially again, like you were saying, you know, international students who are working on a timeline don't have guarantors in the country or guarantors period. In some cases, you don't have a choice. It's that or you're homeless. And that's like one of the worst possible times in recent history to be homeless during COVID. Yeah. I think that was like a big, um, that was like a big factor in like how desperately we were making those choices. I will also say we were like 18 years old and like really scared about the whole situation. Like the global pandemic was scary by itself, like being alone in that time and away from your family with no hopes of like being able to see them anytime soon. Like the whole thing was like deeply scary. But I think that like a more recent landlord experience that I've had that has been like more illegal and very very murky i traveled back um to my home 
to see my family and my parents and everyone. So we were looking for housing from outside. We were in touch with landlords and like we had friends doing the viewings for us. Um, we were doing our applications from outside. And there were so many times where the Ontario guarantor problem like pulled up because we had these houses uh, that were super close to campus in Harbour Village and the landlord demanded that we pay like 18 months of rent at one point. Um, or like if you're signing up for a lease that is 12 years long, not 12, like 12 months long, um, you have to pay at least like one month more than the half of the rent. So it's seven months of rent at least. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, go back a second. Break that down because something about that did not sound legal. It, and none of it was legal, but it is the practice that they had. Like the, the problem that we were running into was that we all understood the laws of this, but like there was no landlord who would give us a house. Like they have enough market that they can give the house to someone who's willing to pay them exactly that. Do you know? Like people are desperate enough for housing at this point that they will like, they will do anything the landlord wants. And so they were asking for seven months up front. Yes. And like post-dated checks. And those were like, I remember from the housing lecture that we went to in first year, I remembered that that was like completely illegal. He could evict us any time and he would not face any repercussions for any of this. So we were talking about it and I was like, I don't think we should like do that. A, because I don't have the money to do that. And B, because I genuinely don't trust that this man is going to let us live in his house for like any longer than like 12 months. And we may have to stay there longer because we still have school. But we had that problem. And then I remember when, like, by the time I came back, we had settled on this, like, apartment that we found in Kensington area. And we were like, okay, we at, we at least have a house. It's not, like, great, uh, but it is, it is, like, it works. Like, everything, like, the stove works, heating works, there's water. Like, we're going to be fine. Basic necessities is covered. And this is the time when I was in our professor's class. And I walked in from, like, my it was like a whole day of travel for me um, to come back from India to here. And I come back and the house has like, like one of the glass panes, like taken out from the window. And there's a pigeon like fully nesting above it. It has come in and out. Like there's like pigeon poop all over the place. Like, and it's just like nasty. Um, the water is like really bad. It doesn't drain. It like pools and leaves like a, really yellow mark all over the place and so i called the landlord and i said hey i'm hoping to move in as soon as possible could you send a cleaner in like there's like these issues that maybe they could fix and i was still like so scared that he was gonna be like oh we can just like give the house to someone else which they pulled up on us at one point um but i was like could you please send a cleaner in like i really don't want to be like cleaning dog poop on my first day back in toronto i'm super jet lagged i just need a bed to rest in um and he was like, yeah, for sure, we can do that. But then like the cleaner ended up coming like three days later, I think. And I like in that time had to find um, a place to stay with a friend because the house was like awful. No, you're absolutely right. And so I think I'm going to pivot to a question that I ask all of my guests. No one is allowed to escape, not even you. <laughs> and the question is this. Where do you want this discussion to go? What should I and our listeners tackle first? I think a better system is a more like propagation of the legal tenant rights. I think that like 
a lot of the people are not aware of them. And if I, if we had not been in situations that pretty much compelled us to look them up, we would have never known more, more legal advice, more legal services, and like an easier access to the tenant and housing courts. Um, I feel like it would be so much easier if you have someone who's sitting there telling you what you're asking for is completely normal and actually very necessary when they're threatening houselessness over your head. Um, I also think that people who own these le- like own these properties should not be making it their like entire full-time job. Like the apartment that I live in now, I don't think the landlord has any other job except being a landlord. And that's really concerning to me because he can increase the rent based on like whatever his needs are, like whatever his like financial necessities are. An abolition of like landlords is the only way I can think about it. But I think like the one like very um, doable change I think should happen is that like there should be more awareness of rental tenant rights because if the way that the landlords practice law is like extremely extremely based on like what they can and cannot do like I think they have like a very unfair advantage over tenants at the moment because tenants are not aware of the laws like there's very little in our arsenal at the moment because of how difficult the rental market is right now and how much power landlords meddle over you. If Sakya's story has taught us anything, it's that renting in Toronto, the GTA at large, and Ontario is on a bit of a downward trend. While lodging houses can be a good, affordable solution to the housing crisis because they enable less affluent people to be able to afford a space of their own and to get back on their feet, If a landlord or another housing provider isn't following legal code or maintaining proper care of the building, then disasters like this can strike. And when they strike, it's not only the landlord who's put out of their investment because legally they are responsible. It's the people living inside the house who end up losing out on their dreams and at worst, end up on the streets. This story is just one of many examples of how reputable housing won't take international students or refugees or young people or anyone without a clear record of dissent, which leaves all of them as victims to potential land sharks who may not have the best of intentions. Help us heed Sasha's call and make a difference today, because when it comes to housing and especially deep cut, affordable, attainable housing, your voice matters. That wraps up this episode of Homelessness and Hiding, our youth between the cracks. If you're interested in supporting a cause tackling youth homelessness, I invite you to visit our website, restcenters.org. That's R-E-S-C-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn more about our mission and how you can support the cause. If you found solace here, learned something new, or think we have something of value to offer, you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, this is Maya Moniz, signing off. This podcast has been brought to you by Rest Centers through the special dedication of our peer support leader, Maya Moniz, our Director of Youth Engagement, Romaine Redman, and Rest's Executive Director and Founder, Dag McCoy. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively those of the hosts and guests involved and have no affiliation with the Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center.